Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 42. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of IceCap Asset Management and everybody's favorite, uh, Tom Brady of Macro, Rich Diaz, uh, who is departing from Keith's homeland today and, and moving to Montreal. So any single ladies in Montreal, uh, Rich will be there with his pickup lines. Uh, be careful. But uh, what's going on? Rich was here in Vancouver last week. You know, it's getting serious when he meets the fam. So he came over and had dinner with my family and uh, we had a time. What did, you, did you guys talk about me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we talked about how we were going to make you jealous. Um, I had a really nice bottle of white and a bottle of red. And Steve's wife made us a gorgeous, gorgeous dinner. So, yeah, you should be very jealous. That's, that's all we talked about. <laughs> I think then, you know, we talk about having a kitchen party at my place here in Halifax. I think we, everyone on the West Coast, let's go to Kitslano and hang out at, at Steve's place, you know, for the Come night. On. Come on down. Well, after, well, we're already, uh, we've talked about before, but we are in the works of some, some future Looney Hour live events. Uh, we just, you know, maybe first announcement here, we just picked up a sponsorship uh, with, with ShakePay. Uh, so an exclusive sponsorship with ShakePay. Uh, Huge, huge thanks to them. Obviously, this channel, this podcast has been growing, you know, extremely fast and, and definitely has been much better than anticipated when we first launched it. We said, hey, you know what, let's just see if it sticks. And um, yeah, crazy how, how, how quickly things have kind of moved along. But we obviously appreciate everyone's support. So all we ask is, again, you know, you guys are really ultimately driving the, the growth of this channel. All we ask is that you continue to share this with at least you know, one, uh, one family member, one friend, and just build it one by one. But um, let's, let's get into the show this week. I think there's, you know, so much happening. Actually, I think the, the, the big theme this week is kind of like a lot of what we've been talking about on the show seems to actually be manifesting now in, in markets and in, in, in sentiment and narrative in the media and stuff. So, I mean, first and foremost, um, you know, let's start off on the Canadian housing front, given that this is the Canadian podcast. Um, RBC, RBC calls for a quote, historic, uh, what do they call it? A historic correction. They didn't call it a crash. They called it a historic correction uh, in the nation's housing market, basically calling for a 12% decline um, in the national house price index um, by the second quarter of next year. So I kind of want to break that down for a few people. Keith's going to get behind it on the, the bank ramifications of, you know, why a major Canada's largest bank would come out with this, you know, rather aggressive forecast. But I kind of want to unpack the numbers a little bit for you guys, because there's some, um, you know, when, when that was, when that was released, right, like the media kind of ran with it, but everyone's like, well, what do you mean 12% correction? Like, that's like we're already down 12 percent in most markets and so it's kind of a, a simple reminder that the national house price index in canada is measured with all of these 
you know, cities, areas, it's not measuring like the average sales price of Toronto suburban homes, right? So it's kind of lump sum. It doesn't really move. It's, it's a lagging indicator. It's a smoothed out index. I believe it uses a three or six month rolling average of prices. Um, yeah, Rich will probably know just as well. Uh, but just to kind of give you some, some context, so that 12% decline would actually be the steepest correction um, that we've, we've actually seen over the last four downturns going back to the 1980s in Canada. So it's not like a small, while that 12% headline sounds small, it's actually, statistically speaking, would be the largest decline on a national basis. Um, the other thing, so if you look at the numbers, so during the financial crisis of 08, 09, again, I just think that this number is, is ultimately wrong. This is why we don't like use national home price indexes per se. But the, during the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, national home prices in Canada declined by 9%. Okay, so as of right now, if you look at the national house price index, we're down 6.7% from the peak. So if RBC is correct, we're basically halfway through roughly this correction. Um, but yeah, just to give you again context, the world was ending in 08, 09 per that index prices only dropped 6.7%. We know in Vancouver and Toronto, they actually dropped more like 15%, give or take 20% in some, some pockets. Um, but Keith, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that call, because obviously it's, it's pretty large ramifications, just from like a sentiment standpoint, right? Like this is Canada's largest bank. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really odd that they did this. And I would imagine someone within, you know, the the, the mothership uh, wasn't very happy with that report going out. <laughs> because if you think about it, I mean, they're, they're in the business of s- selling homes, right? That That's what they do. They provide financing for stuff. And f- for the research department, the economics team to come out suddenly and say, yeah, you know, the, the, the biggest stuff that we sell, we think it's going to come off you know, by X percent or something, it's, um, you know, that would be alarming because it does, you know, the news does travel pretty quickly, but it's the economics team and that, you know, that is the responsibility, you know, they're supposed to give you thought provoking pieces or research narratives, whatever it is. They're never, you know, always right or always wrong, but they want to give you something to think about. So you have that going on. And uh, so what I think it's, it's great about it is because, you know, we've been talking about this for a while and, and everything has a narrative. Now, RBC, especially, they're, they, uh, they're, go- they're going to be in an awkward moment for their next earnings that's coming up. Because it's been, I know for us, it's been our expectation that growth is going to slow. And then all of a sudden is, hey, this could stop pretty dramatically. And now everyone is expecting it. And we, and we had the US number this morning. We can dive into that as well. But what's, you know, what we got everyone with, look at what are the banks telling you? What are they telling us? What are they reporting? And the American banks, you know, it's it just because of the way this, they're on a calendar quarter basis, the Canadian banks are not. Um but what's happening to the American banks, you know, they're, they're taking more losses for the loan portfolios. Um, they're taking losses for, you know, leverage, leverage loans that they're doing, leverage buyout option that they're doing as well at the same time. So, I, again, I suspect when the Canadian banks come out with their earnings now next month in, in August, you're going to see a, a similar narrative taking place. And, uh, you know, they have to get ahead of the game. And I, I think some of these loan provisioning numbers from come out, I think they're going to be really aggressive because if 
other people have already started to do it. You're not going to be blamed for doing it. Like it won't be a one-off, you know, blue shirt bank problem or orange shirt bank problem. It'll, it'll be for everyone. But, that, but that's the first thing. Uh, and it will have an impact on investment strategy. I want to come back to that as well as we get uh, into it. No, absolutely. I think the, uh, the RBC economics team uh, needs to hire the, uh, the forecasting team at Royal LePage. Uh, because they have never released a negative uh, housing forecast. Uh, I think they're actually still calling for like a 5% increase or something like that this year. So uh, God bless the team at Royal LePage. But um, yeah, speaking of that, I actually do have an, an update um, from RBC. So actually I have my own mortgage uh, at RBC. So we've, we've talked about this on the show before about, you know, these trigger rates and, you know, if the Bank of Canada does in fact raise, um, mortgage rates at their next meeting in September, which we'll get into because I've got some comments on that following a lot of this Fed talk um, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of mortgages would actually get triggered. And I think we're starting to hear a few stories now that, you know, people are calling in asking questions. I think there are a few people that are basically getting triggered or like 25 basis points away from it. So I actually had a chat with uh, my broker at RBC. And so just kind of asking, well, you know, how are you guys anticipating? So we're getting a lot of phone calls on this and, you know, there's basically, there's basically three things that they can do uh, that they're going to do. So basically what RBC is doing. So what happens is at some point, right. Is that so much of your monthly payment now is only going to interest that it basically becomes an interest only loan at the bank. And so that's what that trigger rate does. The trigger rate basically says, well, we got to get you paying more to, so that way you're paying some principal. And so what the basically conclusion was is that what RBC is going to do, Canada's largest lender, which I imagine, I, I would think other banks would probably follow to some degree, is that they're actually just going to increase your monthly payment to make sure that you're paying at least $2, $2 in principal payment. So she's like, this, like it's a toonie. Toonie. <laughs> toonie. So it's all you got to do is you got to pay a toonie. If you get triggered, you have to pay a toonie. Um, but she's like, yeah, like obviously most people are coming in and saying, well, you know, it, it, the, the strategy of like set it and forget it and don't touch it is probably not the best strategy over a five year period. So she said, you know, a lot of people are calling in and increasing their payments. Um, but the, the amount that you'd have to actually increase the payments to get back on the, like your amortization schedule is actually quite significant. So I think like she's like, yeah, in reality, most people are increasing their payments by, you know, hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks a month and keeping it right. And just, and just understanding that, you know, you're not going to get back to the amortization schedule. So that's kind of what's happening on the trigger rate side of things. Um, so it might not be as big as a, of a story as, as everyone's kind of hyping it up to be. I think the, the, the reality is, is that it could be more of a problem in two, three, four, five, five years when a lot of people go to actually renew their mortgage and they have this, you know, this balance, which maybe hasn't been paid down, assuming interest rates basically stay where they're at, which again, I'm sure we'll get into. In this show. That's, a, that's assuming your bank is around to collect from you yeah. in five years. Can I ask you a question though? Cause I guess, you know, I, I know we talk a lot about the negativity on the housing market and I understand the interest rate perspective. I understand the banking sector constricting loans, but you know, I was just looking at the population growth numbers for Canada and we're already back to 
3% year on year. Canada just cracked 38.5 million people. If you look at the population growth for prime age individuals, which is age between 25 and 54, you're at 1.4% year on year. That's a 30 year high. Um, and then, you know, so then, so I, I, I get the view that, you know, you, you've got constricting borrowing, although that's not necessarily true. If you look at the senior loan officer survey, it remains quite in balance. And, and then the other things, and then the other thing on, on is the type of housing. So for example, if you look at constructions, I was looking at sort of top level stuff. If you look at home, homes under construction and, you know, um, whether it's Ontario, Alberta, whether it's Quebec, um, you know, there's a series um, in data stream, which is and from Stats Canada called units newly completed or unoccupied. And, you know, you, you sorry, sorry, that under, and then there's also under construction. And then within under the construction section, there's apartments, single detached units and other. And across the board, apartments just keep ratcheting higher. And then but the single detached units are still well within either, you know, 15 year lows or, you know, and so, you know, I think the problem when we look at these averages and we have discussions about, you know, the, the, the marginal price, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, isn't there just a, a floor that's being set sort of underneath these house prices, whether it's single, um, like single detached units rather than let's say condos? as a function of a supply and B demand. I mean, isn't that like sort of the counter argument to this is sort of the housing negativity? Yeah. I mean, I think that everybody just loves to like hate on housing. I get it. Cause it's like, we definitely have egregious prices here. So naturally I can see why people are frustrated. Uh, but I, you know, I try do my best to try to take the emotions out of it. Um, I can say speak, I can speak specifically on like Vancouver, Calgary. I think Toronto is in a similar sort of dynamic. Cause like usually when you talk about Canadian housing, you're talking about Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah. Um, I can say specifically like in Vancouver, Rich, you were here and you visited like in the city of Vancouver, like there's, there's, there's nowhere to build new single family houses. Yeah. There's no, there's no like track of land that you can like, Oh, that like over there, let's go build a new community and plop 1000 cookie cutter brand new single family houses like there, there isn't so what's happening is like the stock of single family housing in basically all of greater vancouver contracts every single year because they're being densified you know they're being land assembled into townhouses and condo buildings and duplexes so like i think honestly fundamentally like if you own a single family house over the next 10 to 15 years like you own i would say a finite asset Right now, if you're buying a condo, to be honest, like, I think we're just going to keep building up. So I like, think there's tons of supply. So I think like the argument there for like price appreciation, I, I don't, I'm not as convinced, but I think if you own the underlying land in some of these land constrained, you know, metropolitans, I mean, you, the same could be said for all sorts of different large cities, not just Vancouver, right. but when you're, when you're constrained by the ocean and the mountains, like, yeah, I guess I think it's just that we need to be sort of careful. I think when we discuss um, house prices and home prices, when and when I think sometimes we're guilty of sort of lumping it all in into one thing rather than specifically about condos or single detached units or you know multifamily or whatever. Because if you just look at those supply numbers, it's amazing, really. And then you know those population growth numbers are wild. They just like it's the the immigration the taps are open again. Right or wrong, I mean, I don't really care, but the numbers are very, very clear. You know, we're, we're 
the growth is driven by immigration and we're back to 1.3% year on year after sort of the COVID hiatus. And so that's why, even though I wonder about the bank's ability to lend and finance those next purchases, I'm always really cognizant of sort of that, that, that like floor under any, you know, price decline. Um, and, you know, the, the affordability hasn't helped. Obviously that's a negative for housing, but it's, it's amazing how much that, that that's, um, it's just something we should just think about the, sort of the, the demand and then obviously the type, but anyway, so that was my two cents. Oh, I mean, I think like, yeah, I mean, let's, 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 let's not like, you know, putts around here. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got a lot of these markets, you know, in the suburbs of Vancouver, the suburbs of Toronto, like they're already down 20%. And yeah, they could easily drop another 10%, 15% over the next six to 12 months. Easy. So, I mean, Hey, a 35% correction, in a lot of these markets, I mean, that's, it's pretty, but aren't you just that back, doesn't happen but, every but, decade. But aren't so, you just back to sort of 2019 levels? I mean, you've made that joke before, right? Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like everybody, everybody knew there was a suburb or a bubble yeah, in the suburb. Yeah. Okay, everybody cool. knew it. It was insane. It was pandemic driven. Everyone's like, I'm going to work from home forever and like <laughs> live off the grid. Like it, it was, everybody knew it was a bubble. And so like, it shouldn't be a surprise that like it's bursting and like the fact that like rates are up at their fastest pace ever. But like, now I want to kind of jump into that now because like, I want to talk about economic growth. We just had the US's latest GDP print. I can just speak specifically on growth and and housing here for, for my last comment is I'm just looking at the July figures right now. What do we got? A couple more days left in July here. Uh, greater Vancouver home sales. So not just like the city, greater Vancouver, the whole region. Uh, we will see basically a 20 plus year low in home sales for the month of July. So like, again, this is just accumulation. Rates are simply too high for the market to function. There's not a lot of liquidity. Um, I think that's obviously going to play into economic growth. So, I mean, Keith, I'd love, or Rich, I'd love to get your guys' comments on, uh, you know, as of this recording, uh, U.S. Uh, GDP for Q2, you know, another another decline. So it's two consecutive declines. Um, some would say that's a technical recession. We're not calling that apparently. That's, you know, someone, someone tweeted me and said, um, this recession does not identify as a recession. Um, <laughs> So, uh, well, it's the labor market. Just so people understand, there's a misconception about the two negative quarter, uh, two negative quarters that are consecutive. Um, I mean, that's sort of the like um, the colloquial definition that people. But there's always it's it's usually quite it is subjective and is always supposed to be some kind of labor market contraction, and we just haven't seen that. Just so that people know. Keith, are you got any looking at the at the numbers here? I mean, what's your thoughts? You had, I think, it's because you had Biden out saying like we're not in a recession, and then I think Janet Yellen is out today. I think talking about uh, she's calling it a transition now. So it's a, it's a recession that doesn't identify as recession, but it's going through a transition. So the, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but let's let, let's be clear about a couple things. Um, the, the economy is is rolling over. Okay, you're splitting hairs to say whether it's it's this or that. The only reason all of a sudden in the last 48 hours that this whole argument or discussions come out is, you know, what is a recession, what isn't, it's because in, in the White House, like we have the midterm elections coming up in America in, in a couple of months. And usually the way it works politically, you know, let's just think there's just two sides because we're looking at the American side. You know, both sides have wins in, in something. And then they both have losses in something. So they, they're both able to campaign on, on you know, hey, we, we won this, we, we won that. 
right now the, the White House has no wins. They've they've lost on inf- inflation. They they lost on uh, geopolitics. They've lost on you know, the the pandemic is now over. They can't use that again. Um, all of a sudden now, the one thing that they were campaigning on, hey, we have a great recovery, the economy is doing well, lots of jobs, and boom, you know, out of nowhere, because it happened quickly, now they're staring at a recession. So politically, the other side, which would be the right or the Republicans in this case, and like they're you know, in inflation, gas prices are going up, now we're in a recession. I mean, this, this is going to be hammered home relentlessly for the next three months in America. So the White House came out and said, you know what, it's not really a recession. So they, you know, they, they, changed, they changed the definition. That's what they're trying to do. That's why they're having this you know, discussion. Um, and, and again, from our perspective, it's, it's irrelevant whether you're a, a shade into recession or not. The point is growth is starting to slow. And it's our expectation that after the next quarter, it's no longer going to be, yeah, it might be a recession. I think we're, we're rolling dead on into it. Um, so with the GDP number, um, like a very, you know, from a very simple perspective, your economy is calculated based on spending by you know, individuals, companies, and, and government, right? That's where it comes from. And then you have net, tr- net trade, what's going on. So if you are a net exporter all the time. It's always positive, you know, for your economy. Uh, if you're a net importer, which is what the Americans are, I mean, it, it's negative and all that. Did this latest GDP number, everything was weak. Like there wasn't any real strong wins or real strong losses in there. Uh, and, and one of the biggest contributors to the economy in, in the US and elsewhere over the last, you know, really year has been the inventory built. And, and even that is starting to slow down now. So uh, I know a couple of shows ago, um, we, we talked about, hey, this fall, you know, you might all of a sudden have a lot of sales happening at the retail stores because inventory has been built up, you know, they run into recession. I think that's where we're going as well with it. But what this does now from the investment perspective, so the world has has shifted and it's happened now fast. You know, we're on top of it because, you know, we're we're a bunch of smart fellas, of course. And uh, but the world has gone from being looking at inflation is surging, uh, interest rates are surging. You know, you know, it's just a horrible time to, to try to do stuff. Housing is going up. To now, all of a sudden, hey, we're in a recession. House prices are coming down. Uh, maybe the central banks are going to stop raising rates. Maybe they'll cut rates next meeting. Like we've done a complete one eighty. So from an investment perspective, I, I know every, every week, you know, I'll allude to certain things we're doing with portfolios and, you know, I'm not going to announce in real time what we're doing because it's just, it's just not fair. Um, but about three weeks ago, we, we, we bought long bonds for our client portfolios for our Canadian dollar strategies. And it was on the expectation that, you know, the recession drum was, was going to get louder, you know, the drum would get louder and that, long-term rates, we start to creep down. So we, we thought, hey, that's a great time. You know, you, you buy low and sell high and everything. So we're up, we're up around 6 7% on that move right now. And our expectation was maybe it'll be a 10 to 15% opportunity. So we're halfway there. Um, and as the recession drums get louder, we think this trade will continue to work for us. However, it's not one of these, you know, buy and hold things. It's not going to last forever. So we suspect... We'll have this recession talk. Maybe the central banks will stop 
hiking rates, you know, we, we think this is maybe a one to two, three month lull gully maybe and then we'll uh, you know it'll, it'll swing around the other way and i think i think that's what's so fantastic right now about about the market like we're getting these extreme movements you know people are chasing their tails i, I want to comment as well one more thing um i, I know I, I sent out that rbc tweet about the housing market a couple of days ago and a couple of people reached out to me you know and you know everyone so the difference today is that everyone's on social media and like all the news pieces are amplified and the Canadian banks, there's not going to be a bank run right now on Canadian banks. They're, they're not in trouble. You don't have to go and yank out your money and all that. Like th that is not happening. We're just in, on a, the beginning of a period where likely, you know, growth is going to slow and you're going to see some negative consequences with it. But uh, I'm just, you know, suggesting people don't be alarmed everything because it is amplified maybe it will change if we go and you know we'll give you the heads up here of course when it does but uh it, again where we're headed over the next few months will be a 180 for what we just had and maybe you'll get a, a boomerang on the other side well, well, i do have comments what, on the fed i will come back for the fed though well, and monetary that's policy. What I, I wanted to say that because well just just for clarity so that people don't get um miss miss don't misunderstand anything exports and consumer spending increased by the way in that second quarter the other sections which were inventory investment housing investment federal government spending state and local government spending and business investment all decreased so just so we're we, we're clear about what went up a and question on down. the consumer spending side i i don't know yeah. i haven't really looked at the report but on the consumer spending side i'm assuming it doesn't adjust for inflation yeah it does it does it's it's, it's real it's real oh it is okay yeah yeah, yeah for sure whenever whenever you, it's, a, it's an excellent question by the way but whenever you have a whenever you have a gdp print they it's in real terms so it's adjusted for inflation it's adjusted for a different type of um remember we i always screw this word up implicit price deflator instead of using the cpi or the pce which is um personal consumption expenditure there's a different in, in index that you use to get from nominal to real and for the us um it's an implicit price deflator for consumption which is closely linked to cpi but anyway i just wanted to make it very clear that not all of the the parts of the of the economy went down but i think that what's more interesting rather than sort of the recession whatever i mean that that's you know for me that's sort of less interesting from a strategist perspective than the market's making new highs um and the yen is starting to rally and bitcoin is up and you know and and you know and i think i think you know, you're looking at the nasdaq's making a new high and you know and and oil still at 100 so i think so you know we always talk about this that you know people and clients and listeners shouldn't conflate necessarily the markets with the economy and i think you know you couldn't you could make the case if you wanted to be a little bit punchy about it that you know a lot of this bad news has already been priced in because you know the market is a forward kind of looking indicator right it's always trying to assess what's the next thing down the line the market today is not telling you what's happening today the market right now is sort of a discounting what the future cash flows what's going to happen over the next six to 12 months is already happening and so when you see the sort of the negative whether it's consumer confidence whether it's business investments whether housing prices whether it's you know etc 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 and you see on that negative news that the stock market doesn't go down you know you could make the case that a lot all of this sort of negative stuff is has been priced in now the other side of that is we're in a bear market rally and who knows what's going to happen 
But I think it's just important to like contextualize the fact that the Nasdaq's making a new high. I'm looking at Bitcoin's hit just hit 23,000, you know, oil's at 107 on the Brent. These are not recessionary red flag indicators. And so I just think it's a really sort of fascinating dichotomy between the red flags from, from the economy and sort of a green lights from the, from the markets. I don't know what you guys had a view on that. Yeah. I mean, I just think like, it's just kind of these, this year, I think it's just serving up a lot of humble pie. All yeah. Over the place, right. I think, I don't know. Like I love Twitter. Obviously I spend probably way too much time on there, but the amount of people that like are convinced they know with a 100% certainty of what's going to happen and what the price target is, it's just like mind blowing. And I, I think like, yeah, just, I think a lot of people just think with like emotion or not, or actually, you know, investing or positioning or trying to create wealth or preserve wealth or what have you. And, and, yeah, it's, it's always just a delicate balance, right? I mean, I think like the media definitely amplifies, you know, a lot of the negative stuff and, and like as Keith alluded to earlier, right? I mean, everything kind of gets amplified today and it's usually not like this or that. It's usually somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, obviously I think we're still going to continue to slow. I'm just looking at the housing front, but... Um, well, I'll tell you something that people are not talking anywhere near enough about is something that's not amplified is I know we've talked about earnings a little bit, but to me, it's, it's, it's always, it's the margin story margins, just so people understand uh, non-financial corporate margins are basically at all time highs, depending on how you calculate it, whether it's MSCI index or a data stream index, or if you use a national income account, um, they're all time highs. And the question is, can you be like, what will we be your price earnings ratio? How will, what will be the performance expectations or expected return on the index on all these stock markets if you have a structurally lower margin, profit margin, sorry, just to be clear, going forward. And I think that that's, to me, the question that not enough strategists and not enough you know, news outlets, I mean, I guess it's not their job maybe, but that's what I'm thinking about. That's the only thing that dominates my, my thinking. What will happen to margins going forward? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Keith, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I'd love, to, I'd love to kind of get into to the Fed as well. I mean, Keith, you probably paid more attention to it than anyone, but obviously the U.S. Federal Reserve out this week here, 75 basis point rate hike. Um, but I think more so what people tended to focus on, maybe right, maybe wrong, uh, was the, the lingo from Jay Powell, which was, it seemed to sort of indicate um, that, the next sort of rate decisions moving forward would be quote unquote data dependent, um, that they're no longer sort of, I guess, foreshadowing, you know, these, these moves, right? Like everybody knew that the Fed was going to raise 75 basis points this week. Everybody knew that. Um, it was basically, yeah, again. So uh, Keith, I don't know if you, how much limelight you're putting on, on, on the comments from the Fed. Um, I, I don't know if I personally would say, Hey, it was like a full on pivot, but is this like, 25 basis points moving forward. Do you think that they're done for this year? How are you kind of looking at the, uh, the recent comments? Yeah, they, uh, they have not pivoted. It's just that the, the narrative has changed somewhat. And because um, like, that's, that's the narrative that we've been sharing, of course, is that you know, they're going to raise rates, keep going until something breaks. Eventually, like, they don't go from raising rates to cutting rates. They go from raising rates to not raising rates as aggressively as they were before. And then they're flatlined. 
and then the next move is down. And it, and it takes a while for that to play out. So yesterday, um, you know, the, the, the big, there's two big takeaways. One overall, it, it did sound more, more dovish than what was probably intended. Um, and then like, for example, that they effectively said no more forward guidance. So what, what that means is that in, in previous meetings to say, you know what, like we're going to get up to two and a half percent by, you know, by the end of summer and, you know, up to three and a quarter by year end, you should expect that. Now they're saying going forward, our decisions should be based on the data that's coming out. And that's what the ECB said last week as well. So, you know, again, you're getting, you know, the central banks are, are synchronized. Uh, so that was interpreted to mean that, hey, maybe they're done. Because if we get softer data coming up, they're not going to hike rates. Uh, hey, the party is back on. Uh, that's that's not what we expect. We, we think that's a bit early for, for that call. Um, they also have another report. I, I don't remember the name of it, guys. But um, he Powell said in both his statement as well as in the presser, I forget what it's called. It's, you know, um, but anyway, the, the guidance for rates in that publication, he said, we're still on for that till year end. So in, in, in one way, they're saying, you know, forward guidance is gone. We're going to use data. But he said, like, not a lot has changed. Like, we still think we'll be at three and a quarter percent here as, as we get towards year end. So, that, so that was the big takeaway from it. Um, the the other is creating uh, an escape valve for himself. Like he's kind of, he kind of has to keep what the, the door open to, to sort of hit pause. Right. I mean, they'll have to pause, but I can tell you one thing there, there's an extremely low probability that they're going to start cutting rates. They don't, they don't want to be the ultimate clowns in the central bank world. And the way you become an ultimate clown in the central bank world, that you go from zero to say two and a half or three and a quarter percent, you know, just like that. And then all of a sudden you go from three and a quarter back to zero just as fast again. You mean like Trichet like, in 20, 2010? Yeah. Trichet raised rates. And then within two months or whatever, what was it? How many months was it? So the, just so people understand in 2010, I'm screwing the dates up. Forgive me. I'm distracted this week, but I think uh, Jean-Claude Trichet or whatever his name is, was the ECB president before Mario Draghi. Um, and he, and in 2010, was it, they raised interest rates and then like two months later they cut them anyway. Sorry. How much did they raise them? Do you remember? It was 25 basis points, but it was more, it was like the attitude. Like he was like, don't worry, everything's fine. And then he had to turn around. <laughs> Sorry, Keith, please keep going. He was, yeah, he was like, you know, Baghdad, Bob, do you remember that guy? You guys don't remember him maybe. Wasn't he the, uh, the, the economist, wasn't he? No, back when the Americans went into Iraq, he was the communications minister. So there was these famous uh, interviews. You know, he's in front of the American like CNN and stuff, you know, in, in Baghdad. And he said, yeah, we're still strong. The Americans have not taken the city at all. And meanwhile, like going behind him are the American tanks and things are blowing up and, and everything. So he, you know, just, just, you know, Google Baghdad, Bob. And no. uh, it, so you know what it was? It was uh, Baghdad Bob, uh, the the chief of the National Association of Realtors, the chief economist. I think leading up to the financial crisis, they nicknamed him Baghdad Bob. 
I don't know how it came about, but uh, yeah, I guess it was all his communications, housing is strong, da, 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 and then it blew up. Yeah, Keith, he, I, pu- I, I push you off course, Keith, so I apologize for that, but I think you were making a really good point about like credibility and and sort of timing and forward guidance. Yeah, I think Baghdad Bob's a lot more fun <laughs> to talk about. I mean, uh, but good old JC, that's what we used to call him, you know, Jean-Claude. Uh, yeah, he, you know, and again, I, I always call that part of the world, you know, the, the economic fantasy land called Europe. And it's not something that they've earned over a couple of years, you know, like way back then, which is over 10 years ago now. You know, the rest of the world is crumbling economically. Everyone is cutting rates. And, you know, this guy says, no, we're strong here. We're going to raise rates and everything is great. And boom, they got to cut rates and they got to bail out the Greeks and they got to bail out Cyprus, you know, and the Irish are lined up for more money. So uh, the point is, you know, central bankers are are people too, you know, they're going to make mistakes. However, the Federal Reserve, specifically Powell, if they do not want to be the guy that raised rates aggressively and then said, oh, wow, we made a mistake, we're going to roll them over. If that will not happen on Powell's watch. It will be the next person coming in line. And then the other interesting thing that's happening here, uh, people may not realize, but there's, there's a real tug of war or you know, boardroom brawl taking place right now between the Fed and, and the Treasury. And uh, it, it's really aggressive so that the Fed, they want to raise rates and, you know, put on QT, reduce inflation, all that stuff. And it's irrelevant whether you agree or disagree with it or like or dislike it. That's what they want to do. Meanwhile, the Treasury, which is an arm of the, uh, of the White House, uh, they have a political agenda to, hey, we got to keep this party going as, as long as possible. Uh, we're not able to produce a, a big deficit this year because politically they can't get it passed in Congress nor at the Senate. So uh, Yellen wants the Fed not to be as aggressive as they have been. So in return, what she's been doing is driving the price of the dollar higher, you know, which really ticks off Powell in, in the Fed because you got higher rates going up and then the dollar is just screaming higher, which is going to cause something to break and in the emerging market world or elsewhere, which would then mean Powell will have to stop raising rates. You see how it all goes around. So today, for example, and we record on Thursday, so this is Friday, you're, you're listening to it. Um, you have Yellen coming out with, with a presser this afternoon, and uh, she's going to specifically be, be commenting on, on the GDP. And, and that in itself is incredibly unusual, because, you know, two days ago, you had the White House change the definition of recession. And the Fed just came out and the GDP number was was horrible relative to what they were expecting. So because it's, it's not a nice, clean world that we're approaching now over the next few months. And, uh, you know, you know, markets can, you know, be going to a, a different tune. And, um, but, you know, that's when you get the opportunities you know, to do your to put your moves on like Baghdad, Bob. I got a story. So Baghdad, Bob <clears throat> from the Wall Street Journal. So it was uh, the, the chief economist of the National, National Association of Realtors. His name was David Lira. Uh, he, was, he wrote a book, um, I think in 2005, saying, are you missing the real estate boom? Uh, and then in 2007, he says, it appears we have established a bottom in January of 2007. Um, obviously, everybody knows how that played out. So they, he was nicknamed Baghdad Bob. So that's the that's the backstory on the former chief 
uh, economists of the National Association of Realtors in the U.S. there. So um, I feel like our version here in Canada is Phil Soper there at Royal LePage. Have you guys ever seen his interviews? No, I don't know who that is. He goes on like the financial post all the time. It's like just, just pumps housing. I mean, can't, can't, uh, you know, can't blame the guy obviously being CEO of, of Royal LePage, one of the largest brokerages in Canada, but uh, anyways. So just one more thing. So Keith, the, 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 what you were talking about was the, uh, the fed dot plots. That's what, that's what the, is that not what it, what it is? No, it's another one. I'll find it. Okay. Sorry. You, okay. Cause you keep, you keep stalling for me and I'll find it. <laughs> okay. Well, so people are probably wondering what the dot plots are. So, um, every quarter, I believe the federal reserve, um, publishes That's gotta be your new pickup line. <laughs> hey, you only, have you heard of the dot plot? <laughs> Uh, so every quarter they they pump out a, a thing called as measures of central tendency or something like that where they i can't remember what it is they do a forecast of gdp growth of inflation which they always get wrong um and they also pump out the fed dot plots and you can see but they what they do is they have um everybody each dot represents um all of the people uh, men and women on the board some voting some non-voting and they basically suggest over the next, you know, either year, two years out, three years out, and then something called, they called this nebulous one called long term. And so what you can see, if you just Google it, it's actually quite cool. You can see what their expectations are for interest rates, um, you know, one year out, two years out, et cetera, et cetera. And people are always obsessing about the dot plots because they think that they're going to provide some kind of insight on what the Federal Reserve is going to do. I don't know. I think it's overdone. But it's just something that take just something you guys can you know do something to keep up uh, at home and 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 check it out. It's actually quite cool. It's actually really also intuitive. You don't have to be an economist to figure it out. It just tells you what the interest rates are, and each dot is sort of like a vote as to what they want to do. But it's something people pay a lot of attention to, and I think maybe that's why the people are why the markets are rallying because they expect some kind of um, you know the a cut in. in over in the next two years or whatever. I don't know. I haven't figured it out why. No, I'd love, I'd love to get into that. I don't know if you guys, uh, Keith's got the bloom tubes up right now, but um, are you able to like look at the the, the pricing and market in, in uh, forward markets here just to see where, where they're pricing in the Fed uh, interest rates and even the, the BOC? Because I've, I've got maybe um, the next Twinkie bet here. This is just my own personal prognosis please don't make investment advice off of this but i'm going to go out on a limb here as a guy that's been wrong on uh central bank interest rates this year for the most part um that the boc will slip in another 50 basis points in september and they're done interesting 50 and done what would that bring us up to i guess i should probably know that i'll bring you to that bring you to three bring you to three percent mm-hmm that, that's what the market is is pricing in right now. Yeah, he said that last week, I think. Is the market pricing in BOC 50 and done? No, they're pricing 50 for the next meeting. So what here's Steve is not really being as brave as he thought he was. No, what about, no, what about after that? After that. Uh, they have 20, 50, they're done for the year. Yeah, that, that is uh, a little less than what the market is saying, 50 and then a 25. So basically, uh, like three and a quarter should be the pretty close to the, uh, the the rate at year end. That's what we're looking at. Um, I don't have a thought on it yet. I, I think we have a, like five weeks coming up here. 
I think, to the next meeting, September 7th. I just and, think, the data, I think the data is just going to look horrible over the next five weeks. But Yeah, it, it could. And uh, I, I think they'll clearly raise rates again unless, remember, they, they speak with the commercial banks every day. So if, if they start to hear a lot of softness taking place in, in, the, um, in the mortgage or loan portfolios for banks, um, they may not even do 50. So how about this? I'll, I'll say they're only going to do 25 at the next meeting. I'll be the- Are you calling, uh, are you home, but are you saying 25 and done for the year? No, 25 for next meeting. Wow. Well, that's not fair. Yeah. Look at Keith I know. stepping out on a limb. <laughs> I just, I'm, what I'm basically thinking is I think like September will be their last rate hike period. Like I don't care if they go 25 or they go 50, but I think, it's, I think they're done. Uh, we we could because August is the is the dead month of the uh, of, of the season for the whole industry, right? I mean, we we get some data points coming out, but none of the central banks are meeting. You know, you it's just you know guys like us, you know, coming up with a with a stupid number, and then <laughs> bored we'll, bored in the summer. We'll yeah, and then you know, and then when the media comes around and said, "Oh yeah, you know, Keith looks really smart again," and you know, Steve doesn't, so something like that. Probably. Yeah. Probably. It's usually how it goes. Rich. It'll be it'll be likely, uh, but again, guys, we we got the again. I, I can't hey, stress enough the banks. This guy's oh. gonna make his prediction. Twinkie's on the line, sir. Richard. Oh me? Yeah. Oh my you. goodness, I didn't even even thought of it. No, no, I'm gonna stick with the market. The market's pricing in fifty basis points. I'll go with fifty. Are you saying um, fifty and done? Oh my goodness. Um, nah, I'll take the, I'll take the over. You got the under and Keith somewhere in between. Okay. 50, 50 and 25. There you go. Oh, here you go. You should switch it to one. eating a, a pizza instead of a <laughs> I much prefer a pizza. Hot dog. <laughs> then we'd all want to lose, right? That's, that's when we'd all want to lose here. Uh, another uh, data point that was really interesting this week. Uh, I saw that the, the Canadian pension plan, I think they're down 15%. Oh yeah. Was that year to date or one year number? I don't know what it was. They need to hire. They need to hire Ice Cap. <laughs> yeah, we don't quite meet their threshold for some for some parameters. ESG. Yeah, they're down. They're down percent. Uh, here, let me let me just pull it out for you guys. Um, so they've got uh, pull it up right now. I think I'm the one just in general. I think I'm just have a rosier outlook on the economy. I think than 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 most people, which is no racking up my. Be, can you just be bearish, man? I, I know. I it's just you know. I think um I think you know we've talked about this a lot. You know when you're out of this severe dislocation, you get these major whipsaws, and I just think we're in one of these whipsaws. So you can call it a recession, and not not to like pump Joe Biden's tires. That's not really my my. <laughs> I'm definitely not trying to do that. But I think all this talk about it is way, is way too much. Um, there's too much emphasis on that. But anyway, sorry, I, I stalled, Steve. So tell yeah, me. Yeah, but that. but one thing for that, Rich. I mean, the the estimate for today's GDP was was a plus. I'll, I'll get it for you here. Just one second. Um, so for the American number, the estimate was plus zero point four. Yeah. The number was like minus point nine. Like that. That's a that's a huge miss, and. Yeah, but I get that. Minus point nine is it's not a, a big number itself. The point is things are are slowing rapidly. And I, I know you mentioned or like you know, consumer spending was up, but 
it was up less than the previous quarter. I'm just commenting. Now, well, I will become incredibly positive at some point. But it's. I just it's think it misses the forest slippery, for the guys. trees. I think it misses for the forest for the trees. Like when we were getting out of the COVID lockdown, GDP growth was ten percent or some ridiculous number like that. And I don't. I don't think that that's indicative of it where was the thirty-five. It was like okay, plus well, thirty-six. <laughs> well, that's exactly my point. I don't think you know you, you can't when you're like unlocking your economy from these policies and you're dealing with these like this major shock. I think you have the reverberations that I think make the subsequent quarters of growth, positive, negative, et cetera, et cetera, sort of meaningless. I think they were always going to get, they're going to get these, you know, these calls wrong. They're going to surprise the upside, surprise the downside. I think we're in a period of recovery. Um, and I think we're slowing to a more sustainable number. So yeah, sure. Call it a recession if you want, but you know, they're still adding something like 400,000 jobs to the labor market and jobless claims haven't budged. So it's, I, don't, I just don't think it's as negative as people are making it out to be. I can't believe I'm, I can't believe I'm defending Joe Biden. But... <laughs> sound like Powell too. Jesus. <laughs> and um, yelling. You sound like all of them, Rich. No, I'm, I'm in the you wrong get corner. This, get this guy off the show. You're going to get bashed in the YouTube comments. Um, the three faces of Rich. Boom, boom, boom. So uh, the article here says, equity market volatility has resulted in a sharp decline in returns for Canada's pension plan investments. The latest Northern Trust Canada universe for the second quarter of 2022 was down almost 9% for the quarter and down more than 15% year to date. Yikes. That's a big number. Yeah. It's minus 15 year to date. That's, uh, did they that's split in line out, with Steve? a lot of the happy retirement choke on Steve? that. Steve, do they split it out between stocks and bonds? Do they know where most of the contraction has come from? Or is it just like, are they running sort of a balanced yeah. portfolio with like 50-50 um, or whatever? Okay, bear with me. It says here, it says, among the biggest impacts for pension plan investments, Canadian equities as measured by the S&P TSX composite index declined 13.2% for the quarter. All sectors were in negative territory. U.S. equities measured by the S&P fell 13.4. I guess it doesn't really tell you whether whether okay. Invest. Well, I mean, we know we know bonds are you know 20 percent off their their highs, right? And and total return terms, which is incredible. Um, I know we've had a couple of good weeks like strung together, but bonds in general, just you know, um, unless you timed it perfectly, you're probably still underwater, you know, from two years ago, which is is quite incredible, actually. Definitely, definitely feels like much too early for a victory lap on the bond call here, but yeah, uh, I agree. I guess for for the, again the Canadians circling back on the you know the doomsday predictions here and and obviously you know I think everybody right now is certainly bearish housing it's hard not to be uh, but that Canada five year bond as of today reading it pulling it up right now Canada five year bond which is I think the most important metric in Canada down to two point six percent two point six you're down off the highs of three point four uh, three point four in June twentieth. So like a month later, we're down, uh, what is that, 80 basis points? So just so people understand that, I mean, so people understand something is just when yields go down, bond prices go up. So you've had a really good month for bonds as people are worried about growth. Um, and that's usually the way that works after yeah. getting absolutely caved in the previous, you know, X amount of quarters or whatever. Hey, yeah. Rich, how does, how does a diffusion index work? <laughs> Oh, you make fun. <laughs> we love you. We love everyone here. 
technical technical stuff is important you got to read you know you got to read the fine print um i'll tell you what that it's definitely come off though is the bond volatility we talked about this and spreads so we we also discussed this i mean not in europe spreads are still high in europe but spreads for corporate bonds triple a rated bonds triple c rated bonds so investment grade high yield corporate bonds it's all off off the peaks so you know we this is why I think it's it's very you got to be really careful when you hear when you read articles about a recession you talk about Joe Biden I mean these guys are they're lagging indicators you know what I mean so when you're t thinking about stresses in the economy where there's going to be a mistake you know I submit to you that you got to keep an eye on these spreads and these spread products whether it's in Europe whether it's in the U.S. that they've come off almost a almost a hundred basis points um, since their peak from you know I mean maybe it was February or whatever and so you, you look at it's just this is why i think it's got to be it's it's just too easy to sort of it, sometimes you know when everyone's pushing one way i think it's important that you just take a breather and look around at the data and see what's going on um and the the credit markets are not telling you you're in recession the credit markets are telling you that maybe the worst is over but we'll see aren't, spread, aren't spreads blowing out right now no they've they've come in they've come in over the last you know whatever i mean two months or three months i mean they're still high but they've come in considerably and this is in yeah. europe this is in the u.s this is investment grade this is high yield corporate so we'll see i mean it might change tomorrow who knows i could be wrong um but just something to keep an eye on going forward i got my uh bond friend sending me charts on canadian and the canadian uh bond space it says forward rates both u.s and canada showing three cuts in 2023 second chart uh canada financial stress is almost at pandemic levels which he thinks equals a BOC policy error. Yikes. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. It's a complicated market out there. So for sure. If you I mean, have a lot of things are all over you the have place. a lot of conviction, throw a Twinkie bet on it. Well, things are all over the place, right? If you look at commodity prices, I mean something that's that's negative. I mean, copper is down, you know. Well, you know, 25%, you know, um, we talked about, we talked about, um, we didn't talk about agriculture products last time. Grain is down, has collapsed. Oil prices are, are off, but it's just, it, I think that, this is why people are so confused. I'm confused, frankly. I don't really know what's going but the, on. But that's like, that's like, but that's also like the fun one or not like the fun. That's the one that like gets me the most like curious because it's like, I think like the structural, the macro story, for like long commodities and the shortages you know like obviously the grain shortage the lack of oil uh capex structurally you're like oh man like how can prices fall and yet they're falling right so it's, it's yeah it's i mean keith you talked about i think last episode like this could just could be the markets you know playing short term uh you know making some trades here on on lower and weaker growth but like structurally it's hard not to be bullish commodities but who knows i don't know i mean markets have been wrong before yeah again like our view this is uh, you know gonna be a, a one two month uh rebound from what we just experienced and uh i do suspect that we are going to get more market stress again coming up so, um, you know, this is a good rally now for equities. So people are making some money. You know, they're coming up off their the lows they had on their June 30 the statement. So, so that's, that's great. Like, that, that's really good. Um, you know, those pension funds are now down, down as 15%. I don't, I don't think people realize that with the big pension funds, they're not 
active from an asset allocation perspective. So if they start at the year with say 30% in the bond market, like they're always going to be at 30%. It, that's not going to change. They do not view the bond market as, as an investment. They view it as a way to offset their future liabilities as the payouts they have in, in the pension fund. So they have what's called like asset liability matching, or they want to immunize you know, the liability they have coming up. So if, if we, you know, we are getting a rebound in the bond market right now. So those that part of pension funds, so that that is rallying as well. Uh, but if the rally is only for a couple of months, they will not all of a sudden, you know, reduce their exposure. So that's, you know, you have that coming up as well. But you're right, Steve, you know, our, our view remains the same here. I, I think this is the narrative. So far, we've been right with it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see now once we get into Labor Day, that that's, that's when things will really start to, to cook up again. You can almost shut off your screens here for the rest of summer. Go enjoy it. Go go party with Rich in Montreal and uh, come back here in September. But I think that's a good way to good way to wrap it up. Um, like I said, as always, we appreciate your guys' support. Uh, looking forward to working with the Shape Pay crew. Uh, we'll be sort of announcing a little bit more details uh, as as the weeks progress here. But uh, continue to share this episode with one at least one family member, one friend. Um, as always, we'll see you next week. <laughs>